This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're going to be taking a look at a passage here in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 37 in just a moment. But I want to um, uh, mention to you, the, the take a look at our home congregation's website, www.nvcoc.net. That's for North Valley Church of Christ. Click on the radio mic, you can find this program, all the previous programs listed there. But also, I want to mention another website, and I want to get a link on our home congregation site here soon. Another website called redeemonline.net. Redeemonline.net. I'm going to post my radio programs on there, or, or kind of link them over. I'm going to have video programs on there, or I have these things on there and other programs that I've uh, recorded for the congregation here is and perhaps Lord willing if uh, in the future it happens I can start getting my articles up on there as well so I want to encourage you to go over there take a look at that as well well I uh, I know I'm supposed to be talking about here's what's going on in the news here's what the Bible says about these things and there's all kinds of stuff uh, man it just it's kind of depressing I, are you there? Maybe, maybe I don't know. But there, there are times I like to keep up on the news. I like to know what's going on. I'm sure you do too. And where I'll get my news mainly from, I go online to like the Drudge Report and other places like that, and read articles. I like to listen to talk radio. Um, but it's just so bad now. Now, I'm not talking about fake news. There's plenty of that, but just, just the stuff that's going on. and Why is this happening? Why are people like this? Why is it moving in this direction? And we talked about this a little bit over the weeks, but ultimately, it, as always, it, it comes down to not who we put into office. It's not all about you know who we elect to put in office and this person is going to change the the country and move everything back the way it was not does that does that help absolutely but ultimately ultimately the the best change we can make is the one that we think has the least impact i, I think that's a general truth nowadays people don't realize what i'm about to tell you how big of an impact this has not only on the country but on the world and that is changing your heart. Changing your heart. And so I want us to think about that at the end of the, the lesson I'm going to give you here this afternoon. And the title of this is Images of Christ, Where is the Lamb? Let me start with this. Back in 1970, I read about a, a fellow, he's a 78-year-old king of a small country in South Africa. Here's what's interesting. This man gave himself these titles. He is the Lion. He is known as the Sun, the Milky Way, 
the master in weapons, the obstacle to the enemy, the mouth that speaks no lies, he says. He is the miraculous body that grows feathers in winter while others are without plumage, <laughs> and the jaw that cracks all bones. Why on earth would he have all those names? Well, he was the king of a small country. Uh, his country, Swaziland, something like that, about the size of New Jersey, was virtually surrounded by much larger nations in the area of South Africa, and I suspect that he figured that the more names he had, the bigger and more important he would seem to others. I think that's why a lot of people try to have titles in front of their names or letters behind their names. They want to be important. They don't think they can be important without these things. And so they strive. And I have friends who have done this. I've asked them why they're getting a master's or a doctorate. And they say, well, you know, I, I, really, I think I, I can get more inroads in my job or my area if people saw that. And I, I asked them, what do you mean saw that? Well, you know, when you pick up something and you see doctor so-and-so, you give them a little bit more credence. Well, I'm sorry, but for me, no. It doesn't. Now, if I pick up and read something, I see a doctor, okay, you're a doctor. But it's not until I read or see your work that I start to trust you. I, I know quite a few doctors. I'm not talking about medical doctors, but people with doctorate degrees, and I don't think they know a thing. I think they're dummies. They, they're so focused on, well, you know, I don't want to get into that, recruiters, but we need to remember these things ought to be a description of who we are. That's what this guy's trying to do with his titles. He's trying to describe himself to be bigger than he really is. But some people have descriptions that really pale in comparison to who the person really is. And that's what we're going to look at with the Christ. He's called the Lamb. Well, we'll get into that here in a moment. But Jesus even told us in Matthew 23 to be careful with titles. He says there in Matthew 23, 8 through 11, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, we read this, and if you just take it out of context, you may be thinking, oh man, we can't call anyone a teacher, we can't call anybody our father, I, don't, I can't call my dad dad, or my, my dad father, oh man, we can't have teachers, don't call yourself a leader of the church. <clears throat> well, he's not saying that, it's not about the title, it's about the description behind the title. When I say I'm a leader in the church, am I saying I am the leader, or am I saying I'm a leader. I'm just a leader. And I'm sheepish saying that, but I have to admit it's true because I have to understand my position and use it wisely. <clears throat> but it, it's that is true. But how do I use that? What does that description mean to me? It means that the Lord has placed into my stewardship a few folks within the body of Christ for me to lead. And where am I leading them? To the leader, the Christ, God the Father up in heaven. But folks who think with the idea of titles, you know, 
they think they're always right. They think the more important a person is, the more titles and descriptions that people will use for them. Now, that's not true of a lot of folks, but it is true of Jesus. There are 256 names, according to one commentary, in the Bible for the Lord Jesus. I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could describe. So what I want us to look at today is this one title, the Lamb of God. Of all the titles that has been given to him in Scripture, this one seems to be one of the most common. The book of Revelation calls Jesus uh, the Lamb about 26 times. In the Gospel of John, we find John the Baptizer being the first one to declare, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now when we read that, as Christians, as people who know the Word, or at least read through it a few times, we immediately have a picture in our minds. We think of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. We think, oh man, a big you know lamb standing on a hill with bright sunlight shining from behind it and grandeur and awesomeness. To understand how important this proclamation was, I think it helps us to realize... First, let's start by realizing who was John the baptizer. Well, he's the one who's going to reveal or introduce Jesus to the people of Israel. Isaiah tells us that John's job was to prepare the way of the Lord. And so when he declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God, that meant something. And in his mind, that was the first thing he wanted to say to introduce the Lord to the people. Remember, this, this was right before Jesus began his ministry. So he's coming up. Here's John. He's got all these people standing around him, coming to be baptized by him in, in the Jordan River or wherever he might have been at the time. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now for you and me, you know, we've got a particular picture. For the Jew, that means something very different. We're going to get to that in, in, a, in a moment. John what he's doing here, well, you know, let's go ahead and do that now. What he's doing here, he is answering a question for the Jews. And it's a question that was asked a long time ago in Genesis chapter 22, where we're told the story of a man of faith named Abraham. Most of us know the story where God promised Abraham that he would have a son. And when his wife, uh, he and his wife were nearly in their hundreds, he gave them what he promised. And Abraham and Sarah were happy, they were excited, they could... Uh, 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 as excited as they could be, literally built their lives around the young boy named Isaac. But then one day in Genesis 22-2, the Lord said to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. That's a bizarre story, an idea that God would ask a man to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering doesn't square up with the things we know about God. But the outcome of this event was never really in question. God was never going to allow Abraham to go through with the sacrifice. This was a test. Uh, God told Abraham later, he said, for, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It was a test to see if Abraham loved God more than he did his son. God would never, I don't think, ever allowed Abraham to actually sacrifice the boy. 
But the fact of the matter was, Abraham did not know that. He was convinced that God intended him to place his son on the altar and sacrifice the boy. And he can only consider that because in Hebrews 11 we know, it says of Abraham, that he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a tithe. That's Hebrews 11.19. In other words, God had made Abraham a promise that through his son Isaac, a great nation would arise, and Abraham believed that was going to happen no matter what. God wasn't, was not going to lie. But there's something else going on here. Here in Genesis, is about more than just Abraham having his faith tested. Notice what's happening. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son. He was to take his son to the region of Mount Moriah to offer that sacrifice. That's where the temple was built. Also, right in that same area is where Jesus was put to the cross. I I believe, it doesn't say in the text, but I believe, because God was going to have him do it in a certain place, I bet you that was Golgotha, where Jesus was put on the cross. The exact same place. God provided us with the sacrifices we needed to live. God supplied the sacrifice for Isaac, what he needed to live. He's painting a picture for us. He is telling us the gospel story of Jesus in the opening chapters of Genesis. But what I want you to see also is something that happened before Abraham went up on the mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember, Isaac was with his father and he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But then he asks that question. But where is the lamb? If there's no lamb, Isaac has to die. Isaac may not have known that, but you and I, the readers, we knew that. God wanted us to get caught up in the drama of what was written. He wanted us to understand if he did not supply the lamb, there was no hope for Isaac. But God gives away the plot in the next verse when Abraham responds to Isaac. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Without that lamb, Isaac had no hope. What a lot of folks don't understand is that if Jesus had not died on the cross for our sins, Isaac would still have no hope. You know, scholars often refer to Hebrews 11 as the, the hall of faith, because Hebrews 11 tells about the faith of all the great men and women of the Old Testament. But right at the very end of the chapter, we read of those faithful saints in verses 39 and 40, it says, In all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect or complete. If God had not supplied the Lamb, all the great saints of old would still be in their graves, and there would be nothing. They'd have no hope of their sins ever being forgiven. But now, because of Jesus, they have received what was promised right alongside us. And all because the Lamb of God had taken away the sins of the world. And the imagery of the sacrifice of the Lamb is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. God drove that, that point home over and over and over again. The Lamb would bring about cleansing from sin. Lambs were sacrificed for the cleansing of lip lepers who had been healed. Lambs were offered up as voluntary free will offerings at feasts and when folks wanted to make a vow before the Lord. Uh, the lamb sacrifice was mandatory for those who wanted to take the Nazarite vow. And every day at the temple, 
Lambs were offered on the altar at the first and at the last sacrifice of the day. But then also once a year, when a lamb was offered up as that special sacrifice, that first sacrifice the Israelites offered up when God led them out of Egypt. Remember, the Passover, that's the lamb. They had to find one that was without blemish, without defect. And at the first Passover, that lamb, uh, that blood of the lamb was painted upon the doorposts and the lentils so that death would pass over their homes. The tie-in is obvious. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins. The Lamb without blemish or defect. And His blood covers the sin of our lives so that we don't have to fear death. Now I know a lot of you probably think that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the God, uh, 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 of God, you know, would put things into the mouths of prophets in the sense that they would say things and they wouldn't even fully understand what they're saying. And that's that's true in, in the case of, of Peter. I, I think I don't think that Peter didn't have a choice in the things he said. For example, in Acts two, especially when he talked about uh, the promise being for all children of all nations, and even for the Gentiles, and then later on he had that problem with uh, racism. But yeah, I think he said things knowing what Jesus taught, but he didn't fully understand what he was saying. I don't think John the Baptizer was saying something he did not fully understand. I think he knew who he was looking for, and he knew what it meant. He was baptizing people for repentance, for giving them of their sins. He wasn't for God was, but he was doing the Lord's will. And then, but you know what good was that without a sacrifice? No sins could be forgiven without sacrifice under Jewish law. Everyone knew that. And here he is, he's baptizing people for repentance, and then he looks her over, and there comes Jesus, and he says, Behold, everyone, take a look. The Lamb of God. You know how you always have to bring a lamb for sacrifice? You know how we always have to bring a lamb for sacrifice every year and every all, all the time? Now God has brought a sacrifice. When has God ever brought a sacrifice for your sins? Ever. Never. He hasn't done it. But now he is. Here he is. God has brought his sacrifice to the temple. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, I hope you can see what the Jews were thinking when he, they heard that statement. What? Good lamb of God. God? God brought a lamb? God's going to make a sacrifice? What? What would that mean? I mean, that's got to be pretty significant, right? What's intriguing is that every sacrifice in the Old Testament taught the same message. The blood of the sacrifices of bulls, goats, turtle doves, lambs, all, quote, covered the sins of the one giving the sacrifice. And I know you're thinking, oh, but the blood of bulls and goats could not possibly wipe away sin. That's true, but God would always look at that, looking ahead to the death of Christ. But that's not what we're getting at. Well, I want to do is bring you, I want to give you this question. Why was Jesus the Lamb of God? Why not the bull of God or the goat of God or something like that? All those other animals sacrificed to, uh, were sacrificed to God. Why would God focus on Jesus being the Lamb? What was intrinsic about the lambs that made them the animal that God used to identify who Jesus was? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. Lambs are known for their innocence, right? 
Have you ever heard someone say, well, that fella's as innocent as a bull? Well, that's not nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to me. Innocent as a goat? No, bulls are known for their strength. Goats are known for their stubbornness. Lambs? Well, that person's as innocent as a lamb. What does a lamb do? There's something about their behavior that makes us think of something innocent, right? And there's something else God wanted us to think about here. In Isaiah 53, 7, he tells us about the day Jesus would come and die for us. It says there in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. As a general rule, sheep don't fight when faced with being sacrificed. They don't struggle. They seem to meekly accept the death. Bulls don't do that. Goats certainly won't do that. Jesus did not physically fight dying for us. He was led like a lamb led to slaughter. What would that have been like? Well, we read that in the Gospels, right? We know what that would look like. So why did God use the image of a lamb to describe his son, his only son, as our sacrifice? He didn't fight his death. He volunteered to take our place and mine, your place and mine, and he went to the cross like a lamb going to the slaughter to pay the price for our sin. This is God's sacrifice, the one sacrifice God ever gave for us. He always told, here's what you got to do to cover that sin. And it, it never really worked. But God would always look ahead to his son. And then that day, when John the baptizer looked over, behold, the Lamb of God. God has come, and he's bringing a sacrifice for you. And it's not going to be like the sacrifice the high priest brings once a year, where he's got to take care of his sins first, and then he comes in and takes care of the sins of Israel, and he's got to do it every single year, or that we all do it ourselves every single day. This one's different. This one really is without defect. This one really is without blemish. If God had not supplied the sacrifice, Isaac would have been without hope. The Lamb of God supplied died in Isaac's place. And in the same way, Scripture tells us Jesus was the Lamb of God who died in our place. If God had not supplied His only begotten Son, we would be without hope. So I want you to think about this question. Did Jesus die for you? And I'm not asking this to people who have not been baptizing to Christ. I'm asking this of those of us who have been. I'm talking to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There are plenty of folks out there. Maybe you're one of them. I don't know. You do. God knows that you go to the worship service on a regular basis, you put in your time, you sing the songs, you pray the prayers, you take communion, you put in your offering, you listen to the sermon, but for all the intents and purposes, Jesus did not die for you. You don't think much about the idea that without him you'd have no hope. You just go through the motions. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're just going through the Have you ever felt like, oh, we're singing this song again? Oh, we got to do one more song. The sermon's going a little long today. 
you take the Lord's Supper and you just pop in your mouth and then you go to fiddling with your phone or thinking on other things about work and school or your tests and you're not focused upon the things of God. That's you. If that's if those are the things that's going on in your service, worship service, that's you. This is you. You are not Jesus. You're not thinking that Jesus died for you. Because if you truly understood what that meant, behold the Lamb of God. Thinking on that question and what he did would not be a single day event. It would not be something you just considered for a moment and let it fly out of your mind. It simply becomes a matter of answering that simple question every morning when you get up. Did he die for me? And then that baptism takes on a whole new meaning, right? When you were buried into the watery grave where you die and you're raised up into that new life, his life, a transformation, turning into the spirit of Christ, ever dying and ever living for him. Easy to say, hard to do, right? Did he die for you? Well, we know the answer is always yes. But we don't really live it out in our lives all the time, do we? Let's think about that. Maybe it would be good to put that post-it note on your mirror in the bathroom so that every morning you wake up, did he die for me? And that's a good way to start the day. Thank you for being here with me this afternoon. I hope you have a good day. Enjoy the, the rainy day. I think it's supposed to rain all day today and possibly tomorrow. Be careful out there. Uh, enjoy the, the cooler weather. I think it's going to start warming up, but still great time. Be a blessing. Be salt. Be a light. Show people that you, Christ really died for you so they can ask you, why are you so happy? Why is life so good and joyous for you? And you can have that opportunity to share with them Christ. As always, I hope you uh, consider these things, redeem, make the most of every opportunity the Lord sends your way. And also, I want you to study the Word of God. Open it up daily and bring it into your mind and heart. Go check out our website, mvcoc.net, as well as redeemonline.net, and uh, feel free to make comments there on this program. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. Sending up to sweep away till Shaddam the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.